Chapter Four, Part One of the Eventful History of the Mutiny and Piratical Seizure of HMS Bounty, Its Cause and Consequences. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For further information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Eventful History of the Mutiny and Piratical Seizure of HMS Bounty by Sir John Barrow Chapter 4 Part 1 The Open Boat Navigation The boat is lowered with all the haste of hate, With its slight plank between thee and thy fate, Her only cargo such a scant supply As promises the death their hands deny, And just enough of water and of bread To keep some days the dying from the dead, Some cordage, canvas, sails, and lines, and twine, But treasures all to hermits of the brine, Were added after to the earnest prayer Of those who saw no hope save sea and air, And last, that trembling vassal of the pole, The feeling compass, navigation's soul. The launch is crowded with the faithful few Who wait their chief, a melancholy crew, But some remained reluctant on the deck Of that proud vessel, now a moral wreck, And viewed their captain's fate with piteous eyes, While others scoffed his augured miseries, Sneered at the prospect of his pygmy sail, And the slight bark so laden and so frail. Christian had intended to send away his captain and associates in the cutter, and ordered that it should be hoisted out for that purpose, which was done, a small wretched boat, that could hold but eight or ten men at the most, with a very small additional weight, and, what was still worse, she was so worm-eaten and decayed, especially in the bottom planks, that the probability was she would have gone down before she had proceeded a mile from the ship. In this rotten carcass of a boat, not unlike that into which Prospero and his lovely daughter were hoist, not rigged, nor tackle, sail, nor mast, the very rats instinctively had quit it. Did Christian intend to cast adrift his late commander and his eighteen innocent companions, or as many of them as she would stow, to find, as they inevitably must have found, a watery grave. But the remonstrances of the master, boatswain, and carpenter prevailed on him to let those unfortunate men have the launch, into which nineteen persons were thrust, whose weight, together with that of the few articles they were permitted to take, brought down the boat so near to the water as to endanger her sinking with but a moderate swell of the sea, and to all human appearance in no state to survive the length of voyage they were destined to perform over the wide ocean, but which they did most miraculously survive. The first consideration of Lieutenant Bly and his eighteen unfortunate companions on being cast adrift in their open boat was to examine the state of their resources. The quantity of provisions which they found to have been thrown into the boat, by some few kind-hearted messmates, amounted to one hundred and fifty pounds of bread, 
sixteen pieces of pork, each weighing two pounds, six quarts of rum, six bottles of wine, with twenty-eight gallons of water, and four empty barricos. Being so near to the island of Tofoa, it was resolved to seek there a supply of breadfruit and water, to preserve, if possible, the above-mentioned stock entire, but after rowing along the coast, they discovered only some coconut trees, on the top of high precipices, from which, with much danger owing to the surf, and great difficulty in climbing the cliffs, they succeeded in obtaining about twenty nuts. The second day they made excursions into the island, but without success. They met, however, with a few natives, who came down with them to the cove where the boat was lying, and others presently followed. They made inquiries after the ship, and Bly unfortunately advised they should say that the ship had overset and sunk, and that they only were saved. The story might be innocent, but it was certainly indiscreet to put the people in possession of their defenceless situation. However, they brought in small quantities of breadfruit, plantains, and coconuts, but little or no water could be procured. These supplies, scanty as they were, served to keep up the spirits of the men. They no longer, says Bly, regarded me with those anxious looks, which had constantly been directed towards me since we lost sight of the ship. Every countenance appeared to have a degree of cheerfulness, and they all seemed determined to do their best. The number of the natives having so much increased as to line the whole beach, they began knocking stones together, which was known to be the preparatory signal for an attack. With some difficulty, on account of the surf, our seamen succeeded in getting the things that were on shore into the boat, together with all the men, except John Norton, quartermaster, who was casting off the stern fast. The natives immediately rushed upon this poor man, and actually stoned him to death. A volley of stones was also discharged at the boat, and every one in it was more or less hurt. This induced the people to push out to sea with all the speed they were able to give to the launch, but to their surprise and alarm several canoes, filled with stones, followed close after them and renewed the attack, against which the only return the unfortunate men in the boat could make was with the stones of the assailants that lodged in her, a species of warfare in which they were very inferior to the Indians. The only expedient left was to tempt the enemy to desist from the pursuit by throwing overboard some clothes, which fortunately induced the canoes to stop and pick them up, and night coming on they returned to the shore, leaving the party in the boat to reflect on their unhappy situation. The men now entreated their commander to take them towards home, and on being told that no hope of relief could be entertained till they reached Timor, a distance of full twelve hundred leagues, they all readily agreed to be content with an allowance, which, on calculation of their resources, the commander informed them would not exceed one ounce of bread, and a quarter of a pint of water per day. Recommending them, therefore, in the most solemn manner, not to depart from their promise in this respect, we bore away, says Bligh, across a sea where the navigation is but little known, in a small boat twenty-three feet long, from stem to stern, 
deeply laden with eighteen men. I was happy, however, to see that every one seemed better satisfied with our situation than myself. It was about eight o'clock at night, on the 2nd of May, when we bore away under a reefed lug foresail, and having divided the people into watches, and got the boat into a little order, we returned thanks to God for our miraculous preservation, and, in full confidence of His gracious support, I found my mind more at ease than it had been for some time past. At daybreak on the 3rd, the forlorn and almost hopeless navigators saw with alarm the sun to rise fiery and red, a sure indication of a severe gale of wind, and accordingly, at eight o'clock, it blew a violent storm, and the sea ran so very high that the sail was becalmed when between the seas, and too much to have set when on the top of the sea. Yet it is stated that they could not venture to take it in, as they were in very imminent danger and distress, the sea curling over the stern of the boat, and obliging them to bail with all their might. A situation, observes the commander, more distressing, has perhaps seldom been experienced. The bread, being in bags, was in the greatest danger of being spoiled by the wet, the consequence of which, if not prevented, must have been fatal, as the whole party would inevitably be starved to death if they should fortunately escape the fury of the waves. It was determined, therefore, that all superfluous clothes, with some rope and spare sails, should be thrown overboard, by which the boat was considerably lightened. The carpenter's tool-chest was cleared, and the tools stowed in the bottom of the boat, and the bread secured in the chest. All the people being thoroughly wet and cold, a teaspoonful of rum was served out to each person, with a quarter of a breadfruit, which is stated to have been scarcely eatable, for dinner. Bly, having determined to preserve sacredly, and at the peril of his life, the engagement they entered into, and to make their small stock of provisions last eight weeks, let the daily proportion be ever so small. The sea continuing to run even higher than in the morning, the fatigue of bailing became very great. The boat was necessarily kept before the sea. The men were constantly wet, the night very cold, and at daylight their limbs were so benumbed that they could scarcely find the use of them. At this time a teaspoonful of rum, served out to each person, was found of great benefit to all. Five small coconuts were distributed for dinner, and every one was satisfied, and in the evening a few broken pieces of breadfruit were served for supper, after which prayers were performed. On the night of the fourth and morning of the fifth the gale had abated, the first step to be taken was to examine the state of the bread, a great part of which was found to be damaged and rotten, but even this was carefully preserved for use. The boat was now running among some islands, but after their reception at Tofoa they did not venture to land. On the 6th they still continued to see islands at a distance, and this day, for the first time, they hooked a fish to their great joy, but, says the commander, we were miserably disappointed by its being lost in trying to get it into the boat. In the evening each person had an ounce of the damaged bread, and a quarter of a pint of water for supper. Lieutenant Bly observes, 
it will readily be supposed our lodgings were very miserable, and confined for want of room. But he endeavoured to remedy the latter defect, by putting themselves at watch and watch, so that one half always sat up, while the other lay down on the boat's bottom, or upon a chest, but with nothing to cover them, except the heavens. Their limbs, he said, were dreadfully cramped, for they could not stretch them out, and the nights were so cold, and they were so constantly wet, that, after a few hours' sleep, they were scarcely able to move. At dawn of the day on the seventh, being very wet and cold, he says, I served a spoonful of rum and a morsel of bread for breakfast. In the course of this day they passed close to some rocky isles, from which two large sailing canoes came swiftly after them, but in the afternoon gave over the chase. They were of the same construction as those of the friendly islands, and the land seen for the last two days was supposed to be the Fiji Islands. But being constantly wet, Bly says, it is with the utmost difficulty I can open a book to write, and I feel truly sensible I can do no more than point out where these lands are to be found, and give some idea of their extent. Heavy rain came on in the afternoon, when every person in the boat did his utmost to catch some water, and thus succeeded in increasing their stock to thirty-four gallons, besides quenching their thirst for the first time they had been able to do so, since they had been at sea. But it seems an attendant consequence of the heavy rain caused them to pass the night very miserably, for being extremely wet, and having no dry things to shift or cover themselves, they experienced cold and shiverings scarcely to be conceived. On the 8th the allowance issued was an ounce and a half of pork, a teaspoonful of rum, half a pint of coconut milk, and an ounce of bread. The rum, though so small in quantity, is stated to have been of the greatest service. In the afternoon they were employed in cleaning out the boat, which occupied them until sunset, before they got everything dry and in order. Hitherto, Bly says, I had issued the allowance by guess, but I now made a pair of scales with two coconut shells, and having accidentally some pistol-balls in the boat, twenty-five of which weighed one pound, or sixteen ounces, I adopted one of these balls as the proportion of weight that each person should receive of bread at the times I served it. I also amused all hands with describing the situations of New Guinea and New Holland, and gave them every information in my power, that in case any accident should happen to me, those who survived might have some idea of what they were about, and be able to find their way to Timor, which at present they knew nothing of more than the name, and some not even that. At night I served a quarter of a pint of water and half an ounce of bread for supper. On the morning of the ninth, a quarter of a pint of coconut milk and some of the decayed bread were served for breakfast, and for dinner the kernels of four coconuts, with the remainder of the rotten bread, which, he says, was eatable only by such distressed people as themselves. A storm of thunder and lightning gave them about twenty gallons of water. Being miserably wet and cold, I served to the people a teaspoonful of rum each, to enable them to bear with their distressing situation. The weather continued extremely bad, and the wind increased. 
we spent a very miserable night without sleep except such as could be got in the midst of rain the following day the tenth brought no relief except that of its light the sea broke over the boat so much that two men were kept constantly bailing and it was necessary to keep the boat before the waves for fear of its filling the allowance now served regularly to each person was one twenty-fifth part of a pound of bread and a quarter of a pint of water at eight in the morning at noon and at sunset to-day was added about half an ounce of pork for dinner which though any moderate person would have considered only as a mouthful was divided into three or four the morning of the eleventh did not improve at daybreak i served to every person a teaspoonful of rum our limbs being so much cramped that we could scarcely move them our situation was now extremely dangerous the sea frequently running over our stern which kept us bailing with all our strength at noon the sun appeared which gave us as much pleasure as is felt when it shows itself on a winter's day in england in the evening of the twelfth it still rained hard and we again experienced a dreadful night at length the day came and showed a miserable set of beings full of wants without anything to relieve them some complained of great pain in their bowels and every one of having almost lost the use of his limbs the little sleep we got was in no way refreshing as we were constantly covered with the sea and rain the weather continuing and no sun affording the least prospect of getting our clothes dried i recommended to every one to strip and wring them through the sea-water by which means they received a warmth that while wet with rain-water they could not have the shipping of seas and constant bailing continued and though the men were shivering with wet and cold the commander was under the necessity of informing them that he could no longer afford them the comfort they had derived from the teaspoonful of rum on the thirteenth and fourteenth the stormy weather and heavy sea continued unabated and on these days they saw distant land and passed several islands the sight of these islands it may well be supposed served only to increase the misery of their situation they were as men very little better than starving with plenty in their view yet to attempt procuring any relief was considered to be attended with so much danger that the prolongation of life even in the midst of misery was thought preferable while there remained hopes of being able to surmount their hardships the whole day and night of the fifteenth were still rainy the latter was dark not a star to be seen by which the steerage could be directed and the sea was continually breaking over the boat on the next day the sixteenth was issued for dinner an ounce of salt pork in addition to their miserable allowance of one twenty-fifth part of a pound of bread the night was again truly horrible with storms of thunder lightning and rain not a star visible so that the steerage was quite uncertain on the morning of the seventeenth at dawn of day i found says the commander every person complaining and some of them solicited extra allowance which i positively refused our situation was miserable always wet and suffering extreme cold in the night without the least shelter from the weather the little rum we had was of the greatest service when our nights were particularly distressing 
I generally served a teaspoonful or two to each person, and it was always joyful tidings when they heard of my intentions. The night was again a dark and dismal one, the sea constantly breaking over us, and nothing but the wind and waves to direct our steerage. It was my intention, if possible, to make the coast of New Holland to the southward of Endeavour Straits, being sensible that it was necessary to preserve such a situation as would make a southerly wind a fair one, that we might range along the reefs till an opening should be found into smooth water, and we the sooner be able to pick up some refreshments. On the 18th the rain abated, when at their commander's recommendation they all stripped and wrung their clothes through the sea-water, from which, as usual, they derived much warmth and refreshment, but every one complained of violent pains in their bones. At night the heavy rain recommenced, with severe lightning, which obliged them to keep bailing without intermission. The same weather continued through the 19th and 20th, the rain constant, at times a deluge, the men always bailing. The commander, too, found it necessary to issue for dinner only half an ounce of pork. At dawn of day, Lieutenant Bly states, that some of his people seemed half dead, that their appearances were horrible. And I could look, says he, no way but I caught the eye of someone in distress. Extreme hunger was now too evident, but no one suffered from thirst, nor had we much inclination to drink, that desire perhaps being satisfied through the skin. The little sleep we got was in the midst of water, and we constantly awoke with severe cramps and pains in our bones. At noon the sun broke out, and revived every one. During the whole of the afternoon of the 21st, we were so covered with rain and salt water that we could scarcely see. We suffered extreme cold, and every one dreaded the approach of night. Sleep, though we longed for it, afforded no comfort. For my own part, I almost lived without it. On the 22nd, our situation was extremely calamitous. We were obliged to take the course of the sea, running right before it, and watching with the utmost care, as the least error in the helm would in a moment have been our destruction. It continued through the day to blow hard, and the foam of the sea kept running over our stern and quarters. The misery we suffered this night exceeded the preceding. The sea flew over us with great force, and kept us bailing with horror and anxiety. At dawn of day I found every one in a most distressed condition, and I began to fear that another such night would put an end to the lives of several, who seemed no longer able to support their sufferings. I served an allowance of two teaspoonfuls of rum, after drinking which, and having wrung our clothes, and taken our breakfast of bread and water, we became a little refreshed. End of chapter 4, part 1